Hi friends, Tim Viegas here from MCIE with a pre-season bonus episode. As I was preparing for season 11 of Think Inclusive, I found an old interview I did with a really fascinating person, Tawny Hallsworth. I think we originally recorded it to be part of my newsletter, The Weekly-ish, but it just never got produced. Sorry, Tawny. But now it gets new life as a bonus just for you, dear listener. And if this is the first time you've ever listened to Think Inclusive and you're like, what is this pod? I am not sure if I like this. I would listen to the last episode of season 10, where I interview Carolyn Teagland and Carol Quirk. We talk about the mission of the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education and some success stories from the past year. It's a great listen, and it really sets up what we are trying to do with this pod going forward which is to bring people together from all different backgrounds to create a shared understanding of what inclusive education really means. For this episode, my guest is Tawny Halsworth, a content designer for inclusive classroom tools at Microsoft. She shares her journey from being a paraprofessional for students with disabilities to working at Woodland Park Zoo and eventually joining Microsoft. She discusses the importance of inclusion and diversity in volunteer programs and highlights the impact of her work at the zoo, including a story of a volunteer with autism who went on to become a paid staff member. Tani also talks about her role at Microsoft, where she focuses on making products more accessible and inclusive for all learners. After a short break, my interview with Tani Hallsworth. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Tani Holsworth. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. And uh, right now I'm a, a content designer for inclusive classroom tools at Microsoft. So how long have you been doing that, at, at uh, working for Microsoft? For Microsoft, I'm uh, coming up on like two years. Okay. And is it, has it been all like inclusive classroom tools? Yep. I was hired um, specifically to work on on the set of inclusive classroom tools that they are building and have built um, some of the things like you might be familiar with are um, immersive reader, 
or uh, reading progress, math assistant. Um, we're building a product or called Reflect that helps people uh, share their like emotions with their educators and try and to tap into that SEL part of um, kind of seeing the whole student. Uh, so those are some of the big like main projects <laughs> that we're working on right now. Okay. Um, and tell me your background. Are, are you, were you an educator or? Yeah. So yeah. Um, when I first got out of college, I was a paraprofessional um, for students with severe profound disabilities uh, for about seven years. Um, wow. I did it in Fort Collins, Colorado for a while at a school that was like really progressive at the time for like what inclusion is. Um, I don't know that we would call it super progressive like these days, but it, it was a leader uh, at the time. Um, and uh, then I moved to Denver and worked at a school that had like a way more um, segregated um, special education program. We're in the back corner of the building uh, and got forgotten about a lot, um, had maybe maybe 15% inclusion in that school. Um, and it really made me feel like I wanted to go back to school and um, kind of be able to push back against that as a paraeducator, didn't have a lot of space for pushback. Um, and uh, so I went back to school and then got my master's with the intent of being a uh, general education teacher who had this experience with people with disabilities and was ready to like invite them into my classroom um, because I know how hard it is for special education teachers to flip that on its head and say like, please like invite these kids, support these kids. They deserve to be in your class. Um, but uh, you know how the education system is and it was <laughs> uh, pretty, pretty burnt out by the time I got done with, uh, with school and was really excited about moving into a space where I could help with inclusion um, without dealing with the politics of uh, the school system. And so that's when I got to work at uh, Woodland Park Zoo um, and help build an inclusive volunteer program there. Uh, so, so I kind of so have bounced path, all over the place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm just trying to figure out your path here. So your path was paraeducator or paraprofessional, however you however y'all say it, because people say it differently, right? Uh, yeah. And then you went back to school uh, wanting to become a teacher, like a general education classroom teacher. And then um, you detoured into uh, working. So that was in Seattle. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I moved to Seattle so that I could support that program. So you, so, so you moved to Seattle for the, for the program at the zoo? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So tell me more about that. So, um, how did that, how did that even start? Yeah. So, um, the zoo was really looking to, um, to build a more inclusive volunteer program. I think you can imagine like volunteer programs, a lot of the time they're, um, really, uh, mostly privileged, like white, um, elderly retired folks who have the, you know, the time and the privilege to volunteer, which is wonderful. Um, but they're not very diverse and, um, the, it can be alienating to guests to only have volunteers that are, you know, elderly white folks. <laughs> um, and so the zoo kind of recognized that and was like, okay, we want to take some steps to make this volunteer program more diverse. Like what barriers are in the way of that happening? 
um, and they decided to take on um, including more folks with disabilities as like a first step to making that volunteer program more diverse. So they applied for a uh, Institute of Museum and Library Sciences grant um, to support that program. Uh, so that's how I got funded um, to work full-time on the project. And then um, we had funding to run, uh, what do we call it? What are they called? Focus groups <laughs> mm-hmm. and, um, and kind of run a, uh, coalition of uh, folks to provide feedback um, and continue to build and iterate on the program so that we could make it work for folks with disabilities. And this started in 2000? Started in 2018, yeah. And and so I, I might have, maybe I missed it. So I apologize if I wasn't listening. Uh, the, uh, the Library Science Grant, the Institute on museum library science is that yeah uh mm-hmm. service or um the grant so how are you involved with the institute of museum and library services so the the grant was issued to the zoo um and that pays paid me for uh my salary and just being able to work at the zoo and uh um okay okay advise so- and and run this program and then i managed the grant and the uh the budget and all of that kind of stuff to see what we could do and and what we could uh accomplish. gotcha yeah. so you so you were just you were in colorado and did you like were you just like what what am i going to do next and then you found this opportunity yeah it was a, a great opportunity perfect match so you moved to seattle and to help facilitate and start start this and so how long were you there uh, so it started in 2018, and then obviously we had COVID in 2020. So um, the the idea was um, the IMLS grant um, was supposed to last for two years, uh, but the zoo had committed to um, like just investing in inclusion and having a person that was the accessibility inclusion kind of expert full-time indefinitely. Um, but then 2020 happened. Uh, and I got laid off. So uh, the uh, the intent was for it to be longer, uh, but I was there for two years. Is the program has the program continued? The program has continued. Um, there's somebody there that's supporting it now. They got a second letters grant um, that is supporting building, making the zoo more accessible for um, for guests as well. So just uh, really going through and um, making those physical and and like programmatic changes uh to make everything more multimodal so that people can engage with it no matter how they engage with things yeah um so i i find this really interesting because the the museums or zoos that i've been to that have made an effort towards like inclusion usually that's the kind of thing that we're talking about like making things more accessible whether they're whether the content is more accessible or the physical space is more accessible but i have yet to hear about what what was originally proposed about having you know diversity in the volunteers or mm-hmm. you know um I, my my mom used to call those people docents do people call docents anymore uh-huh yeah <laughs> Yeah, so we kind of had a setup at the zoo there that um, had two levels of volunteers. We had volunteers and we had docents. Um, okay. 
docents tends to, well, they take it, they take a lot of classes um, to uh, be a docent. Okay. And so there's like a certain amount of like prestige with it. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's definitely, you know, they dedicate a certain amount of hours and they have a lot of knowledge, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, we also have volunteers at the zoo uh, that just help people like navigate. They just walk around, they answer questions, they tell people where the bathroom is or where their favorite animal is or what the animal's names are. And really for like most folks that go to visit the zoo, that's kind of what they're looking for. Like they don't really want to talk for 20 minutes to somebody about uh, animal bones, especially when we're talking about like little kids, like they're going from one exhibit to the next, they're on their way. Um, So we have a lot of volunteers that, um, that are just kind of providing those basic supports, like handing out maps, doing all these kinds of things. So there's so many opportunities for people with like any level of disability to participate in that, um, just in the way that that suits them the best. So I had people who um, were coming in and just uh, providing hand sanitizer after kids had the chance to like pet turtles or something like that. Um, And that was their one task and they loved it and they made kids laugh and like gave them hand sanitizer every day. Um, and I had people who are like super hyper into giraffes and would go and stand by the giraffe exhibit all day and like talk to people about giraffes and what their names are and, um, where they came from and had every detail about each giraffe's life memorized. So there's so many opportunities for like different types of people with disabilities to participate in the way that really made them shine. Yeah, that sounds like a, that sounds like a fantastic opportunity. Um, yeah, that is wonderful. Is, is there any particular story about your experience um, at Woodland Park Zoo that comes to mind? Like, if I said, "What was the the most amazing thing that you ever saw at Woodland Park Zoo while you were there?" Yeah, I mean, I think um, the most exciting thing that happened for us is um, we had a volunteer there was a volunteer who um has autism and volunteered uh with a family member um before before the program had started so they interviewed together they told them uh you know this volunteer has autism like i'd like to come with them and we'll we'll provide the support we'll do everything and that worked out well for them before um the program but uh unfortunately they're family member got sick and couldn't continue to support them coming to the zoo. Um, And so at that point, they kind of fell off the radar um, and weren't weren't volunteering anymore. And I went to uh, kind of talk to the supervisor of the program and see, you know, is there is there a reason why this person needs to volunteer with with their family member? Can we bring them back in? Do they what kind of support could we get them? so that they can come back. Cause we know that they've been s- successful in their previous volunteer. Um, and I said, well, th- they just never have volunteered without their family member. And it's like, oh, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean they can't do it. <laughs> it just means they haven't. So let's try it out. And um, we got their job coach involved. Uh, they came to the zoo and uh, went a couple times with their job coach. And it was evident within like a day they don't need anybody to support them. Like they can come volunteer at the zoo all by themselves. Not a problem. Um, which was really interesting. It was interesting to see that like some sort of 
um, just like mental barrier had been put up uh, that this person wasn't capable, even though there was no like indication that they weren't. And that came, you know, from their own family and from the volunteer program. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't that the volunteer program just said like, no, you're disabled. You can't be here. Uh, but you know, the, the family member was, didn't think that they could do it on their own. Um, so they came and they started doing it on their own. And then, you know, two weeks later, uh, they applied for a job at the zoo um, and interviewed with like bare minimum support from their job coach. And then we're preparing meals for the animals uh, just a couple of weeks later. So they went from having fallen off the program to being a paid staff member at the zoo uh, within just a couple of weeks. And that was like the most exciting thing that ever happened. That is exciting. That's really exciting. Uh, wow. Um, what what did it mean for you to like I know that one particular the story that you, you it, it seemed like that that was just confirmation that this was a good thing for you to be doing and um it kind of reinforced some of the you know the things we talk about in inclusion like you know presuming competence right you know like we just you know don't want to assume a person can't do something when they we haven't given them a chance right mm -hmm. are there any other lessons or things that were re reinforced um when you had when you had this position yeah so there's a couple different things i think um when we first got started um the attitude was kind of like how do we create a track for people with disabilities to join the volunteer program um and I, you know, I came to the, to the zoo and I said, we're not going to create a separate track for people. Uh, that's not what inclusion is. Um, we're going to see how we can make the main track more accessible for more people. Um, and can so you, can you, before you go on, um, can you just explain what that means? Like what, what would that have meant? Like, what does that mean having a track? Sure. Yeah. I mean, just the the process of getting um, onboarded to be a volunteer. So uh, people have to fill out an application and um, they come to an info session to kind of confirm that they understand, like, these are the commitments that you're making and we're going to do this much training. And then they have uh, two full days of training um, and then uh, we're supported by a, a existing volunteer in like two days of being a volunteer so that they can kind of get used to it and see how that works. And that's how it was um, before before I got there, right? Uh, and it had been that way for a long time. And we kept it that way uh, because it does have a lot of aspects of it that are really accessible, right? We have the uh, repeated information. We have supported learning opportunities from people who know what they're doing. Um, and those things uh, can help a lot of people. Um, but what we also did was make sure that all of the applications had information on them about like, here's how you can request accommodation. Um, here's how you can uh, reach out uh, to get an interpreter or do all of these things so that we were not excluding people from coming to those uh, info meetings or applying. Um, I had like for example, one uh, woman who was blind who wasn't able to fill out the application um, independently. And so she just called me and I did it over the phone and it was super easy. 
uh, but there had never been, you know, a phone number to call before to be able to kind of get around that. Um, so just something as easy as like providing that information made a really big difference. Um, and then the other piece was just like deciding that uh, the only way to get people comfortable with disability was to just like do it. Um, there's a lot of people and, uh, you know, again, um, the volunteer program is a lot of elderly folks, right? And so culturally, like people with disabilities were not a part of their school experience, were not a part of their life experience um, for most people. Um, and there's a level of like fear and, and hesitation uh, because people just haven't been exposed to that. Um, and so I got a lot of questions about like, well, how are you going to prepare us? You know, what are you, how are you going to train us to, um, to be ready for people with disabilities being here? And it's like, well, you know, we'll do some trainings and like, you can come and learn about inclusion and what that looks like and how you can support people, but you're never going to just feel ready, right? Like introducing you to, to the concepts is not the same as being around people. So it's like, we're bringing people into the program. If you don't like it, like that's too bad. <laughs> um, and it worked out great. And uh, people joined the program. And then uh, it's amazing how fast, like the trepidation that people were feeling just like melted away. It's like, oh, it's everybody is volunteering in their own way. And, um, and it doesn't bother anybody else. And it works just great. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Wow. Um, I'm curious, when you were here in Atlanta, did you, did you visit Zoo Atlanta? Uh, yeah, I volunteered at Zoo Atlanta um, when I was in Atlanta because I, I miss being there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think if they had the, uh, I don't think it was Zoo Atlanta. I think it might have been the Chattanooga Zoo where they had, they had these uh, uh, bags, like these sensory bags. Yeah, Zoo Atlanta uh, has that too. It does? They do? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't remember if it, was, it was that, if it was that one or they, they may both have it, but um yeah, this is so this is so great because the like whenever I talk with anyone about inclusion uh that's not in school that like that's not specifically like it's it's all the same. Like all the same issues come up, mindset 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You know, presuming competence, um, people being afraid. Like, well, what are they going to do? You know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What if this happens? It was like, well, we're probably not going to ask somebody to volunteer who like has a trigger that's elephant noises or something like that. Like we, we interview people who volunteer for a reason and we're going to invite the right people to, to be volunteers, but the requirements for being a volunteer don't, they aren't anything to do with how much you know about animals. They aren't anything to do with, um, you know, how many papers you can write or, uh, how much you can lift. Like that's not what volunteering at the zoo is about. It's, um, you know, are you, able to provide customer service in some manner? Are you able to commit to six hours a month? Do you love animals? You know, are you willing to say that you don't know when you don't know something? Then like, great. That's (laughs) welcome to the team. It's not, it's not that, uh, that complex, but there is, um, you know, a certain amount of people who kind of felt that like their value as a volunteer was devalued by people with disabilities being a part of the program. Um, and we really had to kind of address that and, um, and work on like our internal culture to say, like, that's just not an acceptable attitude to have. Um, your, your value is different from somebody else's value. Um, or your contributions are different from somebody else's contributions, but your value isn't different or isn't hierarchical. Nobody has more value than somebody else. Um, if somebody is listening to this conversation and would say like, Ooh, like, well, I want to, I want this model to be replicated. You know, like I want I want, I want this model at zoo Atlanta. I want this model at the Chattanooga zoo or in, you know, Birmingham or wherever zoos are. <laughs> I've been to so many. I just don't remember. Um, like how, how do you have any suggestions on how they could maybe suggest this? Yeah. Um, 
I mean, I think the first thing to do is um, really assess your accessibility web page. And that's the first thing that we did at Woodland Park Zoo. Um, we found that a lot of people didn't perceive the zoo as a place that they could volunteer because it wasn't perceived as just accessible to them in the first place. Uh, and that's just because the resources weren't there. You know, the, um, there wasn't a map to tell them where the accessible bathrooms were and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and so we went through and improved the web page. And like I mentioned, like putting in those phone numbers so that people can call and, and ask and um, see what's available. So that made a big difference. Uh, we changed all our uh, volunteer applications um, to really reflect what we're actually looking for in a volunteer and be a lot less um, kind of like docent oriented, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Like you don't have to be a, a scientist to volunteer at the zoo. Um, and I think a lot of zoos right now and, and conservation organizations are really trying to embrace the idea that like citizen citizen scientists or, or just um, getting anybody involved at any level in conservation is, is the whole point. Um, that's why we have zoos and, uh, and aquariums and all of these organizations. And so, uh, kind of taking a step back from like, we're an educational organization to a, we're a conservation organization and we're a community organization. And we want to make sure that we're representing the community and inviting the community, um, made a really big difference. Uh, and I think that Woodland Park Zoo is just, uh, a, a really good model of that. but like number one, just bring people into the program. Like you're never going to prepare people for a uh, disability. They're always going to feel hesitant until they meet somebody and spend time with somebody. Um, and realize that it's not, uh, it's not a threat to them in any way to just share their, their space and their passion with somebody that's disabled. Um, that th this is great. I'm I'm really happy uh, you reached out uh, to talk about this because this was just not on my radar. So <laughs> so cool. So so so. Well, let's talk a little bit about Microsoft. I know there's no like real good segue, but um, <laughs> that's okay because the magic of editing. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny. It's actually a little ironic, and um, you don't have to include this story if you don't want to. Yeah, yeah. Come on. But yeah, go ahead. The the way that I ended up finding out that there was a position at Microsoft um, was that one of one of the volunteers I supported at Woodland Park Zoo, um, their mom works at Microsoft. And I saw on LinkedIn that there was a position and I was like, oh, I know her and I'm familiar with I write things. I've written articles and uh, grant proposals and lesson plans like maybe I could be a writer for Microsoft. Uh, so there is like actually a connection from the zoo to, nice. to but uh, it's not super direct. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Um, well, so you said you write for Microsoft. So does that mean you, you write um, like, tell me more about that. Yeah. So uh, content design is like kind of a new discipline. Um, I didn't know what it was when I applied for the position coming from like the education and then the nonprofit field. I had never heard of it. Um, but what it means essentially is like writing the, the buttons and the interface that's inside the products. 
So if you can imagine like an engineer, somebody who codes a lot, uh, they don't always have the best language for like customer facing um, usage. They know what the, what things mean and they know how it's supposed to work, but they might not be super aware of how people would interpret that. Um, and so it's my job to take it from engineer language to like customer facing language um, and make it as inclusive as possible so that people can use it without um, getting hung up or confused or uh, any of that. And then I also write support documents um, for those things so that people can go troubleshoot on their own. Nice. So then uh, would, did you do you like support documents for these tools? I do that. I do support documents for those tools. Um, I build, I write the buttons and stuff that are in the tools. And then um, the fun part, like my little passion projects that I get to work on is trying to help um, kind of shift the mindset in, uh, in the writing community at Microsoft of how we talk about disability and how we um, think about inclusion. Um, so some examples of that are like, destigmatizing the word disabled like it's it's okay to say disabled don't don't be afraid to say it uh there's nothing wrong with being disabled so like not saying it kind of implies that there is or that it's mm. like scary or bad just say it like it's fine um which is a hard thing to get across to people <laughs> but we're working on it um we talk about uh like framing products um not in age ranges, but in like support needs. So uh, sometimes we'll talk about a product like Immersive Reader, um, which uh, for anybody who's not familiar, it can like highlight words as you're reading um, or um, break things into syllables or change the color of the text in, um, in your document so that it's easier to read. Um, and that might be said that it's for like a seven to 12 age range or something like that. Mm. But that's not like super inclusive uh, if we're thinking about, you know, adults who are dyslexic, who are more comfortable reading with, I use immersive reader uh, because the white and outlook hurts my eyes. Like I would rather not look at the white screen all day long. Mm. Um, and so just trying to think about people's support needs instead of age range as like the main reason that we're changing things. And then that way, if we do have different settings for different, um, different people, then it's based on, you know, do you need support for this, this, and this, then like choose, um, this higher level of support. Do you want to be totally independent? Like that's cool too. Um, but it doesn't make anybody feel like, Oh, <laughs> I guess I'm at the four-year-old level instead of the 30-year-old level. Um, so like, I don't know, things like that that can sometimes come across as trivial. Um, I think language sometimes people uh, like to think of as like, just it's just semantics and it's not important, uh, but it really does frame the way people think about, um, it just frames the way people think that we language is, is how we form, form our thoughts and, um, our experiences and, uh, being intentional about it can really make a difference in how we view people. Absolutely. Wow. Um, uh, do you have, 
any stories about how some educators have used the tools or um or do we do you just want to highlight what the tools do oh i mean i don't know like whatever i know that you said you used immersive reader with your students um yeah i did so um i i, I don't know if you know this uh about me but i so i taught 13 years in the classroom i did three years as a district support specialist so just uh a number of schools and I would I would um, help support students with IEPs behavior stuff like that um, and when, but when I was in the classroom I taught in segregated self-contained classrooms um, because my districts they didn't have like if I wanted to work with students with intellectual disabilities the only places they were were in self-contained classrooms so you know here I am self-contained teacher trying to include my kids right mm -hmm. so i'd be like you know collaborating with the gen ed teacher to try to get them in and stuff like that um so i spent a lot of time as a special ed teacher in a special ed classroom uh but we did use all of these you know well at least the immersive reader and we i guess we did uh you know speech to text um trying to think of what other ones that we use specifically but Immersive Reader was great because we could always, you know, some textbooks and stuff like that, online textbooks already has that feature, but sometimes they didn't. So we would like copy and paste it into the Immersive Reader and yeah. then they would like read it for them. Or we would um, uh, assign um, lessons and like particular assignments uh, to a student and then the Immersive Reader could read off what we wanted them to do and then they you know either uh, use the prompt to um, answer the question or something like that so that's that's basically what what i used it for yeah yeah i mean i love immersive Re it's my favorite tool that we have um just because i think it's the the most applicable like in a classroom setting all the time um for students uh with disabilities they can use it in Edge. So just any web page that they go on, turn on Immersive Reader and have it read to them or highlighted for them so that they can read along easily. Um, I used Immersive Reader uh, with uh, students that I've worked with to just reinforce um, reinforce their really basic like reading skills. It's uh, it. They were able to read, but they had a really hard time like attending to the reading a lot of the time, especially, you know, like you mentioned, being a, a special ed teacher in a segregated classroom, you know, you're bouncing from student to student and, uh, you know, maybe they read four words and then they're not doing that anymore and you're with somebody else. Um, and so uh, for, for me, it had, the best thing about it was like the way that it helped people attend to what they were doing and like really stay engaged with it without like basically hand over hand support to, to make that happen. Um, and it made them feel more independent to be able to like complete something and actually be like, no, I did, I did that by myself, uh, which is great. Um, the other thing that I'm excited about right now is, uh, where we just built reading progress. Um, and it's a tool that students can use to record themselves reading out loud. Um, and then 
they can rewatch, you know, rewatch the recording. They can decide if they like it or if they want to try it again. They can, um, you know, try it several times and then they can submit that and it gets returned to them with edits on it. So it's the words are highlighted to say, oh, you skipped this word or you said this word a couple times. Um, and then it, they can go through and kind of redo it and see for themselves like the improvement from one from one practice to the next. Uh, so that's that's really fun um, to see folks use and uh, and grow uh, with without having to have again like that hand over hand kind of support. Right. So are the so are the texts that they read are they self selected? Um, the texts are signed by educators, uh, but it's any, anything that you could want to assign. So, uh, sure. definitely if you have a, if you have a quality educator who's doing a good job, then they're, they're choosing text based on that student's interest and, um, making it really tuned in. Right. Yeah. And then, um, so for the edits that come back, are they... Uh, teacher edits or are they AI edits? It's AI. Yeah. So okay. it, it interprets the student's speech and, um, and pronunciation and then turns it back over and says, okay, you, you read this word three times and you skipped that word um, or you mispronounced it or whatever. That is really interesting. So is this a product that's out right now or it's developing? Mm -hmm. Nope, it's out right now. Uh, so educators are getting started using it. We released it um, this this last year, um, kind of after schools were already in in session and stuff. And so we're uh, expecting people to really pick it up and um, and then we can see the kind of impact that it has and for who uh, in the following school year. So I'm I'm excited to see who it works for and what kind of impact it has. Well. As a as a educator, uh, that that would have been really nice to have. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, a lot of educators use it for like um, basically running records. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. As you're probably familiar, everybody who listens is probably familiar with doing running records and like trying to be out in the hallway with one student taking notes about their reading, and then like everybody's chaos in the other room. Uh, so. This is like one way that you could use it is to do running records uh, while you can manage the rest of your class. Awesome. Uh, anything else about the uh, tools that you wanted to mention? Um, I mean, less about the tools and more about just uh, like the the framework at Microsoft and trying to like Microsoft is a great uh company for disability, I think people are pretty aware of like the different, um, you know, initiatives that they have done. And um, Jenny Lay Fleury is the uh, lead accessibility director. She's um, deaf. Uh, Satya Nadella had a uh, son who was um, disabled and unfortunately just passed this year. Um, and so, uh, he had a big impact, Satya, the CEO of Microsoft, on um, just really caring about all of our products being inclusive and like everything having to go through an accessibility checklist. Everything has to be up to a certain amount of standards, um, which is really great. 
but there's still just, um, I think you and I, and probably the people that listen to your podcast, like are, um, in a different place for what we understand inclusion to be than like the general, uh, community a lot of the time. Um, I think about like inspiration porn or like stuff like that. That's kind of, um, like a lot of people would be like, Oh, that's so great. You know, the, uh, the prom queen asked out the kid with down syndrome or, you know, whatever. And it's like, um, the, the nuance of that isn't quite illustrated for everybody yet. And, uh, that's kind of what, what we're working on on the language side too, is just, um, kind of trying to navigate away from that perspective, just like we did at the zoo of people with disabilities as like somebody to pity and do things for, and to be much more focused on being a people with disabilities, being part of the community and people that we're working with people that we're designing with and for. Um, and it's not like, it's not like a service pat me on the back. Like, I'm special angel wings. It's just like, that's what you do because it's a, it's a decent proportion of the people that you're building products for, um, you know, 10, 15, 20%, depending on, you know, what you're looking at. It's a, it's a huge part of our user base. Thanks for listening to this preseason bonus episode of Think Inclusive. Make sure you check out all of the really cool inclusive classroom tools that Microsoft has to offer. I've put a link in the show notes to a blog post that highlights some of the ones we talked about today. Can't get enough of Think Inclusive? Become a patron at patreon.com slash thinkinclusivepodcast. Finally, follow us on the socials. We are just about on everything, including Facebook, Instagram, threads, LinkedIn, and there is this other one. What is the name of it? Uh, I keep forgetting. Anyways, find us on the web at thinkinclusive.us. And if you want more information about inclusive education or how MCIE can partner with your school or district, go to mcie.org slash contact. We'll be back next week with another preseason bonus. Enjoy the rest of your week. And remember... Inclusion always works. From MCIE.